we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Welcome to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the podcast where we are stalked by two ferocious beasts. Really? The sex and the violence. Oh, wow. Those, dun, are, dun, dun. those are formidable beasts to be stalked by. Should we go hunt them down or do you think we can just like tough it out? Um, I mean, I say such is with these beasts, <laughs> as I say, as is with all my problems, let's just pretend they're not there. Ignore them and hope Ignore they go away. Ignore them and hope they go away. Um, you know, maybe not the best strategy, but let's see how it goes. Okay, okay, fair, fair. My name is Orlando and I'm joined by my uh, co-host, uh, freaking guest, and roommate, Ned. How are you doing tonight, Ned? <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Uh, feeling the... Uh, Feeling the the mugginess of the weather. Yeah, it's I know. Just kind of, it, it's I I am of it and it is of me. Spring is coming down. I mean, <laughs> it's already almost June and that's gonna be hot before Ugh, we know it. So I, time seasons, they're all constructs. They're meaningless. They mean nothing. I, the only thing that we can tell is that it's definitely getting hotter. It is. It <laughs> is. Finally, somehow, somehow, some way, it is. Crawling up. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping. Mm, mm, mm. Nice, nice. <laughs> Into the future. Okay, mm. can't, I can't sing anymore or else I have to pay uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> royalty. Our legal department is is banging their... They're their working overtime head. today. They are, they are banging their heads on their desks really hard right now. All six lawyers in the back room. Uh, tonight, uh, we're watching The Ghost and the Darkness which is appropriate, I think, for the muggy weather. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a 1996 American historical adventure horror film directed by Stephen Hopkins, and it stars Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas. Oh, Val Kilmer. That's mm -hmm. nice. Okay. Uh, the screenplay was written by William Goldman. Uh, we, of course, know him better as the guy who wrote The Princess Bride. Uh, this is the story of a fictionalized account of the Savo Maneaters, which is actual something that actually happened, but this is a fictionalized, fictionalized account of it. Um, now, the man-eaters were two Savo lions that attacked and killed workers at Savo, Kenya, during the building of the Uganda-Mombasa Railway in East Africa in 1898. So we're about to get all up in that historical adventure. Okay. Have you ever seen this movie before, Ned? I have not, no. Have you heard of it? Uh, no, I have not. So in, in 96 too, I feel like I, I feel like it should have crossed my radar at some point. Right. Like, I remember watching this movie when I was a little kid, and it scared the shit out of me for some reason. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, was it was it a, a formative uh, cinema experience for you? Would I would you say, say so. Or? Yeah. Okay. I would say it was one of those movies that first like glued me to this. Like I remember thinking, "Wow, this movie is just like so visceral and scary," and I would just like could not look away. Was this like was this like the first like really scary film you remember seeing or um, that I don't remember? Yeah, uh, because there were there are a couple of movies in my memory that I can remember that were really scary. Yeah, and uh, I actually think that the, the the first like really scary thing that I remember watching was The Wizard of Oz. I think that that terrified me. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's a fair that's a fair entry. But this was definitely one of my earlier 
horror movie, um, you know, experience. I think my parents were like, well, this is about lions in Africa, so uh, you can well, watch what this. What could go wrong? Like, <laughs> what could be scary about that? Um, but this is one of those movies I feel like, you know, we we've uh, we've kind of have a pattern here on this podcast of watching movies that are maybe not 100% successful, but they still have like these nuggets of like, wow, there's like a really good movie hidden somewhere in the mm-hmm. schlockiness. And I think that this really fits that bill. In fact, I was looking at, um, you know, what the uh, review aggregator websites thought about this movie. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it has exactly 50% Approval. Wow! Wow! Right on the right on the line. So this there. is like I mean I, I think that this is going to be a, a good um, coming down from how horrible Blood Rain was last time. Yeah, <laughs> boy, that that still that that really was like a a reality altering experience. Right. Like yeah, just, it was. Uh, you yeah. So I'm I'm ready I'm ready for a film with with a little bit of hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not completely awful, but you know it's not completely great either. And uh, what was it you said about horror? It's hope in the hope in the face of of never ending despair. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm ready. Horror. I'm ready for a little hope after the never ending despair that was right. That was blood, blood rain. rain. <laughs> Now this movie uh, actually doesn't have a lot of sex. It does have a, quite a, a lot of violence in it. Not not a lot of sex, but it's going to be really interesting to talk about this movie from the lens of the problematic issues in this movie. That's what I'm really interested in discussing because it takes place in colonial Africa. Now I have very mixed feelings about that time period because I happen to like literature and fiction that takes place in like the late 1800s, early 1900s in Africa. Yeah. It has that very like romantic, you know, I don't know, it just feels like very sweeping romantic and it's all about like adventure and and discovery and all that. But there's obviously the very, very problematic and dark undercurrent of white colonialism, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the, the human cost of, mm-hmm. of all of that adventuring and, and what have you. So, so, I'm, um, so yeah. I'm really excited to get your take on how this movie portrays all of that. Yeah. Because definitely. there's a lot of racial politics in this movie. Okay. Um, having said that, I'm excited to watch it and then play some trivia and discuss the movie. Are you ready to watch The Ghost? And the darkness? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's get into that darkness with that ghost. All right, guys. Now, if you guys want to watch the movie with us, this movie is available to stream for free if you have a Stars subscription or if you have a Stars add-on through Amazon or Hulu. If you don't have Stars in any capacity, you can always rent it. And it's a, it's a good time, you know. It's a, I didn't mean to, like, undersell it by saying it's a mediocre movie. <laughs> it is a good time, but uh, we'll, we'll see just how good it is. Uh, so go watch the movie, then come back and join us as we play some trivia and discuss the movie. And we'll see y'all on the other side. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion. Just sex. Survive the wilds of Africa. 
Gonna take me a lot to take me. A oh, oh shit! Lawyers! Oh, lawyers! Legal team! <laughs> Why am I doing that this episode? It's a cumulative five <laughs> seconds from the same label, and so we're totally screwed. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we just saw the ghost in the darkness, Ned. Um, first reactions. <laughs> um, I said it during the movie. Um, it's kind of got a little heart to it in a way. Um, it, 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 there, it's it was kind of a it was a fun watch. Ultimately, I found it yeah. to be a pretty fun watch. Um, yeah, it is a fun movie. Yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely kind of does tap into a bit of that adventurous mm-hmm. uh, kind of epic romantic feel right. that I think you're talk that you were talking right. about, like films that. And, and literature that takes place during the era. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely kind of, you know, presents like the idea of a, something of a grand old adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, and, and it's an interesting, it's like an interesting premise. Like I, I kind of, I, I was into like the premise of like, you know, the, the ongoing battle between the tigers. Um, I think, Lions. The lions, yes, good call, good call. Watch me call them tigers way too many fucking times during this episode. I will fuck this up. It's gonna happen. Apologies. But I do know they're lions. Yeah. I do know where we are, for God's sake. Um, so I think, like, the execution is a bit of another matter, because right. I think, like... It's a very messy movie. Yeah, it's, like, a really messy movie, and especially when it comes to, like... <laughs> the way the lions attacks yeah. literally happen like uh, like like starting with the guy who gets dragged out of the tent mm-hmm. very early and the way he gets dragged along the dirt and the way that was shot it looked ridic- it looked a little ridiculous yeah it, it was, like, a, it was, it was a, like, a little cheap that was uh, mahina's death which is i guess like our our first major yeah. Death of the movie. Yeah. And, and he's, he's supposed to be this formidable guy who killed a lion with his bare hands, too. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, and, and, and though, I mean, I, I was, yeah, there, there was a lot of just like, that's, that's not how that works. Like, that's, <laughs> that's not how lions behave. There's no way, like, even if it was a particularly vicious lion, mm-hmm. that a lion would, like, that that a pair of lions could like single handedly massacre like an entire tent full of people like at least that not that I can right. see. Um, uh, if you if you if you <laughs> have some research <laughs> hidden up your sleeve that uh that that contradicts this, then I'll be fascinated now, to well, hear. Well, we it. did we did talk uh, at the beginning how this is based on a true story. Yeah, it's based on a true story. Um, I'm guessing the film. Highly fictionalized. It's highly fictionalized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For example, the character of Remington is not is not a real character. He was made up for the story. Yeah, he was he was pretty interesting. Just like uh, on a just just a uh, he, uh, and then the Americans show up. <laughs> like boy, do they ever! Because man, he is he is he is a pretty strong American caricature yeah. in in his whole vibe. I want to talk about that a little bit uh, later. Um, First, I want to mention about William Goldman. So he was the screenwriter. Again, we know him better as the screenwriter. Uh, well, actually, the novelist. Also, he wrote the novel Princess Bride and the screenplay for Princess Bride. I don't know if this is the same person, but mm-hmm. that's that's awesome. That mm-hmm. makes the movie even better. Right. Um, um, so he first heard of this story when he was traveling in Africa in 1984. He thought it would make a good script. Now, the way he pitched the story to Paramount is 
that it was a cross between Lawrence of Arabia and Jaws. And the movie really is Jaws in Africa. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it felt a lot like Jaws. There were many there were many shots that reminded me of Jurassic Park, interestingly right. enough. Like Which the is, lions I, are very much shot like the Velociraptors yeah. and the T-Rex. And like. Jurassic Park is another movie that's known as Jaws on Land also. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Now, I do want to point out the, who the real MVP of this movie is. You, you mentioned it already before we started recording, and it's Mr. Jerry Goldsmith, whose score, once again, like in King Solomon's mind, yeah. it just ties this whole movie together. It does, definitely. <laughs> I think it, um, it, 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 definitely, it definitely sort of gives the film a, a more optimistic... Right. Feel yeah, a romantic the whole feel. thing. Like, yeah. yeah, like it definitely, yeah, like, yeah, like we were saying, like it taps into this sort of romanticized idea mm-hmm. of like exploration right. in Africa and stuff like that. So um, I think that works, that works as a way to tie the film together, right. like strong and weak parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, definitely, definitely an MVP. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, pretty good score. Yeah, it turns out to be like a pretty rousing good time because of the music, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so let's play some trivia. Yeah, let's let's do Ghost that. in the Darkness de- trivia. Yeah, there's a lot of details in this one. There so is I, a lot of details. I, in this I definitely, movie. you know, some uh, not to go too far behind the scenes, but like you know, some movies I do take notes for, and mm-hmm. other films I don't. This one I was trying to keep up and take notes for, but there are a lot of details. So yeah. we'll we'll see how well we'll I see do. how you do. Yeah, because this is one of those movies again, like where it's somewhat memorable, but then there's a lot that can get lost in the mess. Yeah. Uh, let's start you are, you know, nice and easy. Yeah. Uh, here's question number one. Now, once again, this is going to be five questions and a bonus. They're going to go in order between the least difficult and the most difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the grand prize is bragging rights. I do need me some of that. Mm-hmm. I, I did pretty well with uh, Blood Rain. You did. You, you've been yeah. doing pretty good overall, I think. Yeah. Okay, You've only good. outright failed like a couple of them. Okay, so. <laughs> cool. Cool. Getting those, getting those, pumping those numbers up. Yeah. Uh, so here comes question number one. According to Samuel, what does the word Savo mean? Ooh, uh, it means place of slaughter. A place of slaughter. Yeah. Correct. Now, the interesting thing about that is that he says it means a place of slaughter, but actually, Savo is the Akamba word for slaughter. The region is known as the place of slaughter. And the reason why it's called a place of slaughter is due to a history of tribal warfare between the Maasai and the Akamba tribes. Okay. Yeah, so the word itself just means uh, slaughter. But but it has more to do with like the local political. Yeah, the location is known as a place of slaughter. But yeah, I mean it is pretty interesting. I think like that this story, like the actual story, takes place in a place called Slaughter. Yeah, (laughs) and it's two lions slaughtering the fuck out of people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Sometimes I feel like you know, like you know how they say like truth is stranger than fiction sometimes, and I feel like. Sometimes, like, truth just gives you, like, the perfect little nugget. So you, you, you hear this and you're like, yeah, that's a story, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be interesting to see uh, how, how, much, how much info we've dug up on, 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 on <laughs> the, the, real, the real situation versus uh, what we saw depicted. All right, here comes question number two. This is still nice and easy. Yeah, yeah. What type of fence do they build around the camp? 
Ooh, I, I felt like I heard the term mentioned. It like, begins with a P, I think. Um, it's not the, I don't want, I'm not looking for the, the word, like the, the jargon. I'm looking for like, what is it made out of? Uh, it's made out of like, of like, you know, like p- pins, like, like the kind of, uh, I don't know what they're called, but like, oh my God, what's like spiky, spiky plant. Oh my god, what's the word? Is this another pinhead situation? This is basically a pinhead situation. Is it a pin plant? No. Like, Jesus Christ. Um, big question. I don't know. Spiky it's plants. Spiky plant. Uh, pointy, pointy planty time. Um, this is kind of that situation. These um, plants you would say maybe... Thorn bushes. Yes! Thorn bushes! <laughs> Because they are bushes covered in thorns. Correct. Oh my god. My command of the English language will astound you. Thorn oh my bushes. god. Um, actually, the imagery in this movie is one of those things where, even though it wasn't um, really followed through to its potential, I really dug a lot of where it was going idea wise. And one of the things was. With the character of Angus, Angus Starling, who was uh, like the missionary, yeah. and we get very early on like the imagery of him in the thorn bushes, and then his hands are covered in the scars and it's bleeding, and then later on when Patterson is going through the thorn bushes with the gun and the thorns are just like cutting at him, it's almost like a very, um, I don't know, quasi-religious kind of tied with Angus. And we we're meant to think about the thorn of uh, the the crown of thorns that Jesus had at the crucifixion, yeah. um, and and that was of course like you know like a trial that that Jesus the Savior had yeah. to go through, and the movie is about this trial that Patterson has to go through. Yeah, well, this is the thing, and I mean, obviously, we, we've got a few sections to get through, but like, yeah, there's definitely like a, a, a white savior a, a white, complex. Oh, yeah, white savior <laughs> complex galore going on in this movie. Again, um, I don't think that 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 the that the the theme, um, the motif, wasn't really explored to its fullest potential. Well, that's a thing, yeah, or, or or deconstructed, therefore, right. as well. Like, yeah, especially, like, yeah, I think the movie, um, it's interesting because, yeah, they do kind of, they, like, drop a lot of very interesting mm-hmm. seeds, especially in, like, how they set up, like, the story and the situation right. on the ground. Right. The fact that there's, like, all this tension between the Hindus and the Muslims. Correct. Um, but, but I think as the movie kind of plods on, it kind of drops a lot of those strands, yeah. And, and, yeah, it never really kind of... It never really finds a way to, like, pay them off, either mm-hmm. by, like, you know, following through on them and resolving them, right. or, like, or, or you know, finding some way to subvert them or anything like that. Because so. it's almost like, um, like the movie, and this might be like, giving a little bit too much too early before our discussion, but uh, it's almost like the movie sets all of this up, sets all this mysticism up, but then decides, you know, fuck that, we're just going to make a suspense picture. A little bit, yeah. Well, that's a thing, and, and you Because the know, lions are, like, sort of magic, but they're sort of not. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, too, is that, like, just the feats that they accomplish are just so absurd right. that it's like, wait, is this supernatural? <laughs> yeah. Like, their eyes are literally glowing fucking green <laughs> while they massacre an entire tent yeah. of people. Um, so, so, yeah, 
was all, all big questions. All right, here comes question number three. Mm-hmm. You're doing great. You got two out of two, even though you almost tripped up in that oh last. Oh my time. god, it was uh, it was uh, a little a little thorny there oh, for a second. Oh, ha, you might hoik, say. Hoik, hoik. Um, all right, so question number three. According to Patterson, which species of animal females have to be bigger than the males because the males tend to eat the pups? Oh, uh, the hyenas. Correct, the hyenas. Yeah. Um, that opening scene when we have him on the, you know, uh, just like on the on train. On the park bench that they strapped to the front of the train, it looked like. Yeah, like, I mean, if I'm going to go around Africa, I want to go in style. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I'm just saying, like, what if you have to use the bathroom? Like, <laughs> You just piss off the train. I guess. It's moving right there. There's yeah. like wildlife everywhere, you know. Just I guess be on it. this is true. <laughs> um, I do think that the I like that aspect how we like you know we we get a little bit more intimate with the continent before we're like thrust into the adventure. And in fact, like Africa is like one of those. I mean, for for better or for worse, I think politically it's been screwed over. But I think that that there is still a very romanticized idea of Africa. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, yeah, it's, it's like a, an incredible, I mean, the whole continent is just like, you know, home to like this incredible reservoir of wildlife. Right. And um, yeah, like it, it is, it is just like a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place is, mm-hmm. is the, the impression that I get. And, and it was and, the, like the heart of civilization. I mean, well, maybe not the heart of civilization, but definitely like the origin of humans. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the cradle, the cradle of Cra- cradle of life, you could the, say. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah. No, I mean, it's yeah, it's still definitely a a picturesque part of the world, mm-hmm. to, to be sure. So, yeah. All right, here comes question number four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get uh, the American, as we said, uh, played by Michael Douglas. His name is Charles Remington. Yeah. Uh, Remington hunts lions with the help of members from which African tribe? I, I am sh- I am sure they said the name of the tribe. I've already um, mentioned it once on this podcast. Oh my god. Um the the Umbopo tribe. No, was that, that was from King Solomon's mind. Fuck, are you kidding me? <laughs> Umbopo no. is a character in King Solomon's no. mind. No. Yes. I didn't do that. You did do that. I did you not did do that. Do that. I 100% <laughs> did not just fucking do that. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck! That was wow. not one of the two tribes you mentioned when you no. were talking about slaughter. No, okay. No, I, God damn it! I mentioned well, the Akamba, and then the other tribe, which is the answer to this question. Oh God damn it! Well, are we giving up? Shit! I mean, <laughs> yeah, no. Fuck! I mean, fuck! I think I think you have to fail okay, me. So you can't even give me another chance. You did after, guess Umbopo after saying Umbopo. Like, yeah, no. Uh, I, 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 yeah. I didn't. I. Oh, that, that's bad. That's bad. No redemption. No. Um, it was the Maasai. The Maasai warriors. The Maasai. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Okay. Now, even though Savo is a place in Kenya, this movie was not shot in Kenya. This movie was shot in South Africa. So many of the Maasai characters in the film were actually portrayed by South African actors, although the Maasai that we see depicted during the hunt were all actual Maasai warriors that were hired for the movie. Wow. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, the Messiah, I mean, like, that's a, another point to, like, the whole, like, the mystical, like, you know, atmosphere of this movie. I feel like the Messiah warriors have always had, like, this very mystical quality about them. You know, they, they're very warlike, but it's all, you know, in balance, in tune with nature. And they, like, they're, like, we saw the ceremony where, um, they were, they were drinking the blood from, from the ox to give them bravery. And I don't know, like, if that falls under the quali- the, the category of, like, magical Negro, per se, but, um, but it's just, like, another, like, little fascinating tidbit that they added, I think, to this, to this movie. Because I don't think that, that the real, that the actual story had Messiah War. Again, the whole thing with Remington is made up for the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I'm I'm kind of curious about that. I, I was I was curious about like the the level of accuracy. Right. I, and I mean, again, we've got magical lions. Yeah. So why not? So yeah. uh, so I'm not sure how much faith I necessarily have in like you know the the work that went into um, accurately depicting any of the tribes. Um, and especially like I I I was curious about like what the dynamic specifically was that led to him sort of like having a certain level of authority over the tribe. I, I forget yeah. where they specifically mentioned how that situation um, came to pass. I believe or... it's because he is white. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So so that that aspect of it, yeah, it, it, it raised many questions. Yeah. That, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, all, all of which I think will bear further discussion. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, that, yeah, the, the role they played was definitely... Uh, Interesting, mm-hmm. um, and because and they, they sort of like come in to help, and then they're like, "Oh wait, fuck it! Those those lions are are devils!" And they're yeah, just like, yeah, fuck, get that, the that fuck even out of there. even they were able to recognize, like, yeah, no, there's there's no way that we're gonna be able to contend with this. The so. ceremony, I don't know how, how accurately the ceremony is portrayed in the movie, but the ceremony is actually based on an actual ceremony that they have, a bravery okay. ceremony. That's cool. And we don't see the the entire all the the entirety of the ingredients that go into the concoction that they make, so. But uh, in the actual ceremony that they do, it's oxen blood and also oxen urine mixed in with oxen milk. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Cool. So here comes question number five. You did not get the four, but you're doing still doing pretty good. You uh, yeah, I'm doing okay. Three Maybe out of I four can make so it up far. In the bonus, who knows? Yeah, who knows? here comes the, this is this is another lingo kind of question here. So let's see All if right. you took good notes for this one. Uh, towards the end of the movie. Patterson builds this elevated platform to hunt the lions from. So what's the name of the device that he builds to stay above the lions? Uh, mm, uh, mm. I did not take notes for that specific contraption. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, a Heidi Audi hole, if we're going to call it. <laughs> It actually reminded me of the uh, the high hide from Lost World. Yeah, Jurassic a little Fart. bit. Yeah, a little bit of uh, the the high hide point zero point five. <laughs> like uh, it's called a macan. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't have guessed it. <laughs> wouldn't have even been able to do a lucky guess. Yeah, and uh, apparently he he uh, learned it in India and brought it with him into this movie. So it's called yeah. a macan. Now, I don't know about you, or <laughs> how you feel about lions or hunting or hunting lions or even survival <laughs> but if it were me i would not stick my ass up on that little 
Macon. Well, I can tell you, uh, I can tell you from a from a uh, a very successful three year career of hunting lions all over the world. Uh, no, no, I absolutely would not either. No, but no. like, if your choice was like to stick your ass up there or try to tough it out on the ground, would you choose ground or Macon? Well, I mean, if it's if it's like, hey, the lion's gonna be here. You can either be on the ground or you can be up in the thing. I'm gonna pick the up in the thing. Like, at least I got a fighting chance to get the first shot. See, I would think. I mean, that's true, but I would think also that you're kind of like stuck up there. You can't really move from there. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I'd want one that was like, you know, just, you know. Just like a little wider, you know? Just like a little more room for me to like spread out. If only they had like a few more days to build it. I'm just saying, like, he, a fort. I don't know, he's this, apparently this savant engineer guy. I know, he's building shit all over the place. Yeah, like, yeah, he's building a lot of fucking things. Including think, a know, trap which he calls his contraption. Yeah, his contraption. Um, I love how proud he is in that line where he says, I call it my contraption. Yeah, like. <laughs> You know, contraption is not an all-encompassing term, right? Like, you gotta, gotta go a little further with it, buddy. It's like the the protector from um, the warrior and the sorcerer. It's like a very unimaginative the, name. Yeah, the protector. <laughs> so. um, a little gun trivia for all the gun nuts who listen to this show, if no. there are any. Uh, the rifle used by Val Kilmer is a Lee Speed Sporter, most likely a, a 303 caliber. Uh, the movie rifle is historically accurate and most likely came from a South African movie prop supply house. Now, the rifle that Dr. Hayworth uses and trades him for is a rare Farquharshan rifle, which was a popular design in the late 19th century with British hunters. The Farquharshan rifle. The design is still in use, however, the rifles themselves are very rare. It's most noticeable, the design is most notably used in the Ruger number no. one single shot rifle. Hmm. Well, and uh, you know, can't necessarily trust him apparently either. As, now, do you think saw. that do you think that King Theoden gave him a lousy gun on purpose? That is. That was what was going through my mind when the misfire happened. They didn't that, really explore that either. They, yeah, they didn't go much further. They didn't even give him a like, but it's what like, the fuck, hmm, dude? Right? Um, but yeah, I, I had that thought. But I think I think the film did a good enough job of sort of explaining away like, oh no, he was... He was dumb about bringing in a gun that he hadn't, like, taken to the range. Which is true. You should have at least shot it a couple of times. I mean, come on, dude. That's a rookie mistake, Mr. Engineer. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. He definitely was not too sharp on that count. Now, of course, I called him King Theoden, but uh, the actor's name is Bernard Hill. He just happens to play King Theoden in the Lord of the Rings movies. It took me a moment. I was like, wait, there were were no kings in this movie at all. Uh, There were two kings. They were called the Ghost and the Darkness. Oh, yeah, okay. We we always stand two kings. <laughs> All right, so here comes the bonus question. Okay, we'll see if we can salvage a bit of my reputation The here. bonus question, as usual, strays from the world of the film. Indeed. And this has to do with the two lions, the ghost and the darkness themselves. Okay. <laughs> now, courtesy of Animals R Us, as we <laughs> learned from the closing credits. Horrifying. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was a, a company that provides animals called Animals Are Us, uh, apparently. Yeah, and a team of only four lion people who were credited as eh, the lion you know, team. That's all you need. 
Apparently. I mean, the, the lines that they got didn't kill those people, you know? I guess. Um, all right, cool. Bonus. The taxidermied bodies of the Savo man-eaters are, are currently on display at the Field Museum in Chicago, as the movie describes. Hmm. Um, now, I did pull up a picture of them. I've been to the field. Have you ever been to the field museum? I have not, no. I've been to the field museum. So I actually saw these lions, uh, but here's a picture of them, and I'll put this in the show notes. All right. Uh, and uh, that wow. way you guys can also see the ghosts in the darkness as they are in wow. display. Wow. Um, so here comes the bonus question. It's actually about the field museum. Uh the Ghosts in the Darkness share the Field Museum with a Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton that's famously nicknamed what? Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, it's oh it's God. the most famous T-Rex skeleton in the world. Oh my God. This skeleton actually has a Twitter account, which if you don't follow it, you should because... It's hilarious. Oh man, <laughs> boy, I, I gave up. I gave up on my dreams of paleontology way too early in life. Because um, obviously, every person at some point is like, "Yeah, I want to be a paleontologist." I definitely wanted to be a paleontologist. Um, god damn! Oh my god, the most famous T Rex. Ah mm-hmm. uh, man. For all, for all you enthusiasts out there, I'm sorry. I didn't get it. My, if you, if you want to take a guess, I'm going to take a, I'm gonna st- say that it's a female. Oh, okay. Well, I was just going to say Snaggletooth, so that's that's not Snaggletooth. No. The answer is... I think, I think if a T-Rex came along named Snaggletooth, <laughs> that T-Rex would be more fucking famous than this one. Just going to say that. There, but, is, uh, there is Sharptooth from The Land Before Time. Okay, so you know, not my, far my off. head's my head's in the right headspace. The answer is Sue. Sue. Sue the T Rex. Sue the T Rex. Which is actually one of the largest, most extensive, and best preserved T Rex specimens ever found. It's uh, at over ninety percent recovered by bulk. It was discovered on August twelfth, nineteen ninety, by Sue Hendrickson, who was an explorer and fossil collector. And was named after her. Now, after ownership disputes were settled, the fossil was auctioned off in October 1997 for the price of $8.3 million US. That's the highest amount ever paid for a dino fossil. And now it's a permanent fixture at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, Illinois. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And I'm definitely going to go follow Sue's... uh, Sue's Twitter, Twitter. yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to Sue. She's hilarious. Sounds good. Uh, Now, uh, the Field Museum, by the way, shout out to the Field Museum, because the Field Museum is a great museum. Absolutely. uh, And there's a lot of great stuff there. I want to talk a little bit about the director, director Stephen Hopkins, who... uh, It's interesting that he made this movie... Because like we we've, we've what talked else has about, he done? like it's a very it's a very messy movie. But he's he's made quite a few uh, things. He's he made Predator Two, which is all right. It was it wasn't too bad. He made Nightmare on Elm Street Five, which is way worse than this movie. <laughs> but uh, he also produced and directed several episodes from the acclaimed first season of Twenty Four. Really? Yeah. Oh, Twenty Four. So the guy oh. can direct suspense. 
Yeah. One, I think, like, the film has a decent amount of suspense mm-hmm. going on. Like, in most of the sequences, like, I was pretty, like, on the edge of my seat yeah. up until we actually see the fucking lines Like, the themselves. kills themselves, right? Like, at that point, it's a little like, okay. This is, this is silly. This has become silly. Yeah, it does veer a little silly. It does. Um, I think part of it is probably the mechanics of like shooting with the lions. I mean, obviously you can't have wild animals on your set. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it clearly was was something that to use the live lions and and to have to shoot them doing the things they would have liked to have them doing would have i think taken much more resources than the film clearly right. had and um yeah because there, there was there was definitely a little bit of like fairly rudimentary like cgi that i saw going on mm-hmm. which was like you know they, they did what they could um so uh but yeah there was a fair amount of just like cutting away and then sort of showing the reaction of the action and not like the action which you could have implied more i feel like like you know take a page from if you're doing jaws in africa take a page from jaws yeah like show the lines way less well that's the thing is that i i think that like considering they tried to show some stuff and then not show other stuff it just kind of yeah it just kind of ended up looking a little messier right and and and, uh and and it it ended up uh kind of undercutting some Mm -hmm. of that suspense in a 1999 interview with SFX magazine, uh, Stephen Hopkins has remarked how making The Ghost in the Darkness was his worst experience as a filmmaker. He calls it a true nightmare. Really? Uh, now, he talks about filming, he says, and I quote, we had snake bites, scorpion bites, tick bite fever, people getting hit by lightning, floods, torrential rains, and lightning storms, hippos chasing people through water, cars getting swept into the water, and several deaths of crew members, including two drownings. Oh my god. Yeah. It's like That's a nightmare fucking horrifying. Set. Yeah. Oh my god. People the true died. horror was behind the scenes in oh this my movie, god. apparently. He also talks about how Valve, he says, Valve came to the set under the worst conditions imaginable. He was completely exhausted from doing the, the Island of Dr. Moreau, and he was dealing with the unfavorable publicity from that set, and he was going through a divorce. He barely had enough time to get his teeth into the role before he started filming, and he is in nearly every scene in the movie, and says, I worked with him for six to seven days a week for four months under really adverse conditions, and he really came through. He had a passion for this film. Uh, we talked about how his accent was a little shoddy. Yeah, and I think yeah, given given what we're hearing about the conditions of the filming and and uh, the the conditions that Val Kilmer was going mm-hmm. through at the time, that makes sense that he maybe didn't have enough enough prep to pre- time yeah, to, to prepare to it. I generally consider myself a Val Kilmer fan, and I do think that overall. I I do like his performance in this movie. Yeah, I I thought he was good. I think the the yeah, like usually when it comes to externals like like accents and stuff like that, like sometime you know I I I've definitely put myself in the position of being like okay, I have I have to set like how good the external work aside and right. and can still evaluate the performance. And I think that like yeah, the performance itself was actually quite good. It's so. not like you know you compare it to Kevin Costner in, in Prince of Thieves where. He doesn't have a, a British accent, or he has one that comes and goes also, but his performance is also not very good. At least in this one, like, Val, you know, commits to it, and, and yes, pulls it off somewhat, you know? Yeah. We're, we're not going to get into Kevin Costner today, but I... Uh, 
I, yeah. You're not the biggest Kevin Costner I mean, fan? I, 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 I just don't get it. He does I have personally a, don't get he it. He does have some good movies, though. I... I uh, I have I have yet to see proof we'll, of this. We'll, we'll have to watch we'll, a Kevin Costner movie. We'll, we'll we'll talk. We'll we'll talk more about we'll, this. We'll watch a Kevin Costner movie and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> uh, the other we can, we can cut that little tangent too <laughs> if we want to. But, well, we're, we're you know we're giving them a little snippet of what uh, we're talking about. You know, behind the behind the scenes, behind the scenes. Okay, cool. Anyways, the other major star in the movie, of course, is Michael Douglas. Yeah, Mike, although with a late entry too. Like he, I was actually kind of surprised how late into the movie he got introduced. He's introduced forty five minutes into the movie and then he's in the movie for 45 minutes and then he dies yeah um so he's only in, it's a two-hour movie and he's only in it for 45 minutes and yet he gets top billing yeah yeah i was kind of surprised that he he was at the very top of the cast well he was there, also so. the executive produ- producer of this movie okay so i guess that makes sense he produced the movie and decided at the last minute to play remington wow mm. So, even before filming began, the working relationship between Douglas and Hopkins was very tense. Douglas even went and had the movie completely recut in post, uh, removing 45 minutes of scenes in order to give him more screen time. Really? Whoa! Yeah. Yo, that's like... This also explains why there are parts of the story that go nowhere... And the movie has a lot of plot holes, like we were talking about. Yeah. Like, for example, there's a part where the story jumps from having only a few people killed by lions, and only for you know, for characters in the next scenes to be mentioning how the number of people dead is much bigger. Yeah, I noticed that jump from, like, there was, like, a couple deaths, like, early on, and mm-hmm. then suddenly it was like, yeah, 30 people are dead. And I was like, wait, did we actually get, like, a confirmation that, like... A few weeks had passed right. or something. No, we like, don't. No, it's... we didn't. Um, yeah, uh, so the, I'm, I'm glad to know that there's a specific explanation yeah. for that. There uh. usually is a specific explanation yeah. why movies yeah. suck. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, <laughs> I let it go at that point. I was like, oh, okay, so some time must have passed after that point. But, like, yeah, that's... Now, Hopkins has expressed disappointment with this final cut of the movie. He calls it a mess, and he refuses to watch it to this day. Uh, the part of Remington was originally offered to Sean Connery... Anthony Hopkins, Gerard Depardieu, um, but then of course you know Michael Douglas took it over. In the early drafts of the script, Remington was originally going to be a very enigmatic character, but when Douglas chose to play him, the character's role was expanded and given a history. Now, screenwriter William Goldman he's also talked about how he's kind of displeased with this decision. In his book *Which Lie Did I Tell*, he argues that Douglas's decision ruined the mystery of the character, making him a wimp and a loser, and ultimately hurts the film what do you think about that <laughs> what did you think about remington as a character I, I mean here's the thing like i found remington to be a compelling character and i think that there were quite a few pretty good scenes involving remington um <laughs> uh i i am i'm interested in the idea of remington as kind of right. being this more enigmatic character especially because like when he's first mentioned before he comes on screen mm-hmm. they you know it's it is it's in this kind of cryptic way of right. like you know what if i called remington and right. he's like you know who remington is right <laughs> everyone knows who yeah. remington is so like i think that's 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 a lot of fucking build up mm-hmm. and like yeah if you want to if you want to if you want to maintain that kind of you know 
presence, mm-hmm. then yeah, don't give away too much. And I and I found myself a little confused when he first entered because I think it it took a few beats before they like established that that was indeed Remington. So right. I was like, wait, is that Remington? I think that's <laughs> Remington. Um, so yeah, I I I think I would have been maybe a little more curious to see to see a, a the Remington that is more mysterious. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have a problem with the presence of the backstory. Um it it is kind of telling though if if like his backstory kind of took the front seat over like, you know, actually further addressing some of the other storylines that the film was trying to establish. Yeah. That's that's a little disappointing to hear. Right, it hurts the overall story and um I mean, obviously, Michael Douglas is a very compelling actor to watch. Yeah, and it was a good, you know, it was a good performance. So he comes in and he, he like he comes in forty five minutes into the movie and he's like, "This movie is mine," and you can actually feel it. Like when he comes in, he's like, he takes charge of the movie. Yeah, and it sort of becomes the Michael Douglas show from that point forward, um, which is good and bad because, he, like you said, you know, he it's a very compelling performance. He's a good actor. But it does ultimately hurt the movie because we've been setting up this intrigue that never gets paid off. Yeah, and and it's like, yeah, ultimately anything you do, yeah, it kind of it has to serve the story. Like it has to serve the overall story. And so, yeah, the fact that <laughs> the fact that he's he was a producer mm-hmm. and then decided to step in and do the role and then expanded the role. Right. I have no says, problem with him stepping says, in, but like yeah, to mess with it? Yeah, like that 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 tells me that that tells me that he prided the opportunity to get to do interesting right. stuff more than actually serving the story of the film. And it probably and would so. have been just as interesting because here, here's the thing. When I think of like what William Goldman's talking about, like this enigmatic, mysterious character who comes in and he's this great hunter, you know, and, 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 and we already... Com- and earned the respect of a tribe right. and stuff like that. And like- we, we already compared this movie to Jaws and instantly what I think about is, is Quinn in Jaws. Yeah. Like, and so we got, we got uh, Robert Shaw playing Quint and Robert Shaw is a huge star and he comes in and plays this very enigmatic, mysterious character. We get his backstory in the most famous scene in the movie when he does the, the Indianapolis monologue. Yeah. Um, and that's fine, but, but that still doesn't remove any of the mystery because that backstory is done in service to the actual story that we're watching. Yeah. Uh, whereas in this case, I, I do kind of see where... Oh, this character gives away a little bit too much and sacrifices that mystery that would really help it. Well, that's the thing is that like I mean the the only stuff from all of his backstory and all of his whatever's about you know who he is like all you really need from him is the anecdote about like the two bullies in his hometown. Yeah. Like like that's the thing is that like the Indianapolis story in Jaws mm-hmm. specifically speaks to like you know the the profound existential horror that. That is the shark right in the movie right and so so like yeah like whatever whatever else he contributes to the story has to relate back to it thematically mm-hmm. in some way and so i agree the fact that the fact that instead he's just kind of there and pulls focus like you know makes for some interesting acting moments but mm-hmm. um not much else yeah it doesn't ha- doesn't help bolster the story yeah Let's go into the first of the GSV segments. This one's called Shot, 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 Shot,
Now, there are a lot of deaths in this movie. Yes. Death by lion. Yes. How many, according to the dialogue, how many people total died via lion deaths at the incident in Savo? Well, I... I mean, about a hundred is is the number that's thrown around by Michael Douglas at one point when uh, Val Kilmer's up in the thing. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit higher than that, but yes. Mm. I don't think I. Yeah, I don't think I hear a specific number. I I can't remember a specific number other than that. Um, one hundred and thirty-five. One hundred thirty-five. Okay, cool. Uh, but how many actual line deaths do we see on film on screen? Mm. <laughs> well. It's a question because again, there's a lot of sloppy cutting when it comes right. to like the uh, the hospital tent massacre. I'm only counting like teeth in bodies. Okay, if we're talking just teeth and bodies, probably like I don't know, maybe somewhere between ten and twenty. Mm. On the low end, you're right because it's nine. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Fair enough. So it's, I, I only counted nine. I don't know. Fair enough. No, I'll, if, I'll take it. I'll if our listeners it. counted more, you can post it on Twitter and call me out, but I only counted nine. Vindicate me, guys. <laughs> don't, like, help me get off the hook for bringing the Umbopo back into, the, into this podcast, please. Oh, my God. There is only one scene involving an animatronic lion. Now, all the other shots were used, were using two real-life lions. Even the ones, the shots that you that you said were CGI, they weren't actual CGI lions. Oh, they, they were, were like composite composite shots wow. of lions like put into the the shot. Oh, that's that's kind of goofy because like some of those lions were really flying through the sky. They were there, like <laughs> that's crazy. the The names of the lions used in the movie were Bongo and Caesar. These are the same lions that also appeared in the film George of the Jungle, which was released the next year, nineteen ninety seven. George of the Jungle. Oh, I remember that movie. Now, in the actual incident. At Savo, there were only really like they still claim that like, the lions killed over like hundred. Like, that's like the legend of it. But modern researchers think that the lions actually kill somewhere between thirty-five and forty people. I mean, the, uh, and this would have been like what over a like seven-month period. The incident happened between March and December of eighteen ninety-eight. Okay, so, so it was like, like a six-month period. Okay. A little over six months. Yeah. Uh, and as is called in the movie, the significance of this lion pair was their unusual behavior of killing men and the manner of their attacks. They, they, didn't, they weren't killing for food. They were just killing for sport, it seemed like. Yeah. Um, after but then the, obviously we get to the lair where they have like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bodies. It's like that. That's this is too much. This ain't the fucking descent. You know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> but here's the thing about that. Now in real life, after the lions were killed, they discovered the lair of the lions. Really? Mm-hmm. And it was full of human bones. Wow, that is that's crazy. A part that's okay, actually so kind I of guess accurate. we are in the fucking descent. Like, <laughs> wow. I know when when that scene happened, I was almost going to tell you, oh, watch out for those crawlers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It did bring back that vibe a little bit. But uh, no, the interesting thing about that is like, so they discovered the cave, but they didn't really like you know map it out, mark it, or anything. So they ended up losing track of this cave, mm. and they refound the cave in the mid nineties. 
Wow. And it's still there in Savo, and it still has, like, yeah. human remains in there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, the violence in this movie, yeah, it, like, yeah, just the lion attacks were just so, like, over the top. They were the pretty thing. over like, the they top. They were just so, like, you know, like, <laughs> there were multiple attacks from the roof, for God's yeah, sake. Yeah, those lions like, were, like... Climbing, I mean, again, they were they were kind of supernatural. They were like ghosts yeah. going yeah. through walls and the bush uh, fence and everything. Yeah, nothing well, was holding them back. One, and I was and I was especially just astonished when they got to the point during that massive hospital tent massacre where it's just like one lion knocked out the support beam, right, and then the other lion like threw the lamp down and like working together as a team. Like, you know, yeah, it was just so. They were also incredibly lucky these lions. Yeah, and and also like just how many people they bit in that sequence. Yeah. Like just like what, what? And they just um, slaughtered everyone. Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty ridiculous. Um, in real life, after the lions were killed, their skins were used as rugs by Colonel Patterson. Now, when they were later sold to the Field Museum, uh, the the museum had them stuffed and placed them on display. And because they were originally used as rugs, the resulting deterioration of the hides caused the lions to be much smaller. Than they actually were. So in that picture that you saw, they were yeah, they looked know, they looked little scrawny. Yeah, they also notably don't have manes. What? So so they were female. No, they were male lions, but they were maneless lions. Oh, okay. The 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 Savo region is is I guess known for maneless lions, and maneless lions have a reputation. I don't know if this is scientifically backed up. But uh, I guess old wives' tale. They have a reputation of being more aggressive than a maned lion. Okay, interesting, interesting. But the two lions in this movie had these glorious manes. Yeah, yeah, very much. They looked so. like circus lions. <laughs> um, we're talking about how ridiculous the violence is now. One of the scenes that is most often criticized in this movie as unrealistic is the one where the lion falls into the trap and the three Indian hunters fail to hit. The lion. Yeah, that was. It was like. It was frustrating. They it were was so real, close to the lion. They were so close, like and and like. Yes, I get that it was a high tension situation. Mm-hmm. Yes, the lion was charging at the bars. Um, I I refuse to believe that every <laughs> single shot because they fired off like maybe like you know six to nine shots in that sequence and. Every single one hit the bars, their own bars, right, and nothing else. And I was just like, "No, you, you cannot, you cannot be consistently just hitting these bars. At least some of those bullets have to be passing through those bars, and eventually, like one or two bullets, like seem to hit the far wall, right, or something like that. But like, because it knocked off the 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 the, uh, the the gate, yeah, so so that the lion could escape. So like, it does happen eventually. But I was just like, "No, that's that is remarkably." Too terrible bad luck. It is one of those scenes that really messes with your suspension of disbelief. But yeah, but pretty here's, much every attack did that for me. But personally. here's the thing: that scenario actually happened. Yeah, it's based on an authentic scenario that happened during the hunt. Only that the real occurrence was even more outrageous. Oh boy! Because instead of there being three hunters. There were ten hunters. Really? And they still failed to shoot the entrapped lion who eventually escaped. Wow. <laughs> it actually happened. That is even more astonishing. I cannot <laughs> believe that. You know, uh, there's there's a great anecdote about um, 
the the show The Wire. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's a sequence in in one of the later seasons, I forget which one, where um where uh, Omar, the the gun the, the sort of gunslinger guy who who robs other drug dealers. Um, where, like, he's attacked in an apartment building and jumps out of the apartment building to uh-huh. escape, and he jumps from, I think, like, four or five floors up. Yeah, I remember how. And, and so that, and so that occurrence was based on a real story mm-hmm. about somebody being attacked in an apartment and jumping out of the apartment to escape mm-hmm. and surviving, only they jumped from like many floors higher right and when they shot it in in the show they had to they they, they lowered the the number of floors from which he left because it was too they unbelievable. Felt like it was just way too unbelievable mm-hmm. for them to go with the more accurate version so um you know it's truth a cliche is stranger than fiction. truth is stranger than fiction <laughs> but here we fucking are yep. i guess so what a world. What a world we live in. Let's, That's crazy. Ten people. Yeah. And, 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 and the setup was in like a, a right. box similar, car. Right, similar it was setup. A box car. Yep. So, so that, that literal level of win. Yep. Wow. The lion escaped. That is astonishing. That is astonishing. I cannot believe this. It happened. Incredible. Let's go into the next segment. This one's called Boob Tube. This is going to be a really short and sweet segment because there's not a, there's no sex, no nudity. There's no. only one female character in the whole movie, yeah. played by Emily Mortimer. Yeah, she's Boy. barely a blip. Yeah, yeah. Talk talk about not a contector for the Bechdel test by a long shot. Right. Like, mm. uh, we, I mean, obviously we can talk about. I mean. This, the the time the place the story you know maybe maybe there weren't any like you know women there we can argue about whether it would have benefited from having a female presence obviously I feel like any movie would benefit from having more of a female presence yeah um, but I what I want to talk about I don't want to talk about any of that because obviously I feel like our our feelings are clear on those issues yeah yeah I want to talk about. Something that really doesn't have anything to do with sex or boobs, but it has to do with Emily Mortimer. Okay. And it's one of my biggest pet peeves in filmmaking. Okay. And it's what I call the dream psych-out sequence, uh, where we get this, <laughs> this dream sequence that's played out as a reality in the movie, and something terrible happens, and then, oh no, it was just a dream. I hate that plot device so much and this movie has one of the worst examples of it (laughs) yes uh yes i agree with you about this specific iteration of it um (laughs) well okay so like it was it was so absurd i mean first of all i should have seen it coming that was a dream sequence because obviously they're building the bridge but it was clear that you know that that project was put on hold yeah um so so I should have seen that coming, but, like, it was just so ridiculous. It was so ridiculous how, like, he was, like, you know, trying to get her attention, right? and she was just standing there, and then more crowds keep walking yeah. into him, yeah. and then suddenly the line just, like, Mows her like down. drive-by, like, just, like... <laughs> like, like and like she's she holding got, the baby! Oh, my God. Yeah, it was... It was it was pretty fucking funny. I have it to was say. Like, funny. It, it was just like yeah, her her getting fucking run over by a lion, baby and all, was just like a bit much. It's just such and, a and well and, and, and also because like I would have believed that it was real right. given just how absurd some of these lion action sequences That's have true. been. Like it was just on par. Yeah, like like and I would say like that if if 
if if the movie was like a little more believable and if they maybe i don't know made one or two adjustments to like make that particular iteration of this idea not so absurd like mm-hmm. it could have been legitimately fucking horrifying right but like and 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 even if they wanted to do something a little more absurd for how the lion attacks her in the dream sequence you can still explain it away as well it's a fucking surreal dream right like, but right. yeah the movie is already operating on this completely different like fairly heightened version of reality that just yeah, it it was it was just funny. It just, was just funny. I feel that device is like such it's so cheap. I'm like first of all, like what are you trying to get out of it? Are you trying to get like you're obviously an emotional response from me, the audience member. Like you want me to you're you're trying to mine another jump scare from me essentially. Yeah, that's the thing. And one it's because it's like, you know, yeah, from a storytelling perspective, it's like you want you want to establish that the protagonist is like you know anxious over losing right. something important to them, which like I get, but like the that's not how dreams generally work. They don't, like no. dreams generally work on like at least a couple more levels of abstraction. Yeah. so you need to. Uh, I, I think like one of the best one of the best like directors of dream sequences is Joss Whedon and like mm-hmm. that like so many of the dreams that we see in Buffy the Vampire Slayer like um are are just like kind of perfect because he you know he does such a good job of like of of like just sort of creating that like sense of like it's familiar but everything's askew right. and 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 you're 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 kind of uncomfortable but you're not sure why mm-hmm. and and, uh, and 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 yet that the dreams themselves are still actually speaking to the actual like deep seated anxieties that your characters have but like you're doing so in a way that like you know shows how they're processing it as opposed to like literally just showing the most obvious incarnation of what they fear like nobody ever directly dreams about those kinds of anxieties in that way yeah they're manifested in different ways yeah so um yeah yeah it's it's it it is i i i i agree it's definitely used a lot and and yeah i think I think it would it would benefit from a little more nuance and and a little more research and just like yeah. how 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 anxiety tends to manifest. I can't in, think off the level. top of my head. I can't think of a if a of a dream psych out sequence that's used successfully or that I enjoy. I yeah. feel like well yeah because if, if they're gonna that. well because if they're gonna do it in like a literal way where they try to show you like you know. Here's here's the thing happening, but then oh no, it was actually a dream. It's like yeah, then then you're already you're already not doing the work of like trying to find a way to create that that what what that actual sense of discomfort that like keeps you from being able to sleep looks like. So. I I'm gonna take back what I just said with a caveat. Yeah, because there is a movie. And actually a whole franchise, but I'm only going to pick out the first movie. Okay. Uh, which is the Nightmare on Elm Street movie, where the whole movie is based on subverting the expectations of dream psych-outs. Well, there so you go. in that aspect, it works. Well, yes, exactly. But, yeah, but, in but, the but also movie. it's but yeah, but and also it's it's the whole fucking gimmick. Yeah, the whole like, gimmick of the yeah. movie is that this this is a killer who kills through dreams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let's go into the next segment. This one's called. Uh, that's 
problematic. Mm-hmm. We've touched a little bit about these, uh, you know, the white savior complex, colonial Africa, well, race yeah. relations. Talk to me, Ned. What's problematic about this movie? Well, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, on the one hand, like, yes, Val Kilmer seems to come off as a generally decent person. Yeah. Um, the thing is that, like... So so we definitely touched on that there is a whole white savior thing going on. And mm-hmm. the fact that, like, you know, Val Kilmer kind of, you know, seems to be the only person who has the answers to the problem. And yep. the only person who who seems capable of solving this problem for everybody. Um, and then when not him, it's the other white character from America, Remington. Right. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, so so you've got, like, this whole host of, like, you know, white characters who are the only people in the film who have, like, any agency because, like, all of the characters of color who, you know, live there um, have no agency. Right. The one example, or the one exception to that statement is um, Abdullah, um, mm-hmm. who I actually really liked in this movie mm-hmm. because I was real. I really liked that, like, throughout the film consistently he was always advocating for like the safety of right. of his people right. and and he was he he never really ever backed down from that it's like he was he was he was like he was like he was forced down right. from from that stance a few times but like he but he but but like yeah he was just always kind of like consistently like speaking up to the the powers that be it's, about portrayed in like a somewhat negative light but it's actually a pretty decent thing yeah that's the thing like he actually cares about their welfare yeah well and 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 because the thing is like the movie as a whole really has like a completely uncritical perspective on colonial yeah totally on on colonial expansion Mm -hmm. and like the thing is like yeah on the one hand val kilmer's boss is an asshole and (laughs) treats him like an asshole but 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 it's kind of treated as like oh well that's just the way he is so it doesn't actually speak to the broader issue of just like the ridiculous amount of influence that they were wielding on this region and Mm -hmm. the way that they were exploiting the locals of the region yeah um so so yeah i I think the fact that like every single person who is a local is is this subservient person um and like in in the best of circumstances they're like a sidekick who gets good lines throughout the Mm -hmm. film like samuel's character right um but but more often than not they kind of are just disposable um it's i mean it's like you know the the first victim of the lion attacks like there's like you know a, a little bit of like fletching out of his character, right, Mahina? But then he's gone so but, quick. But, but then he's gone really quickly, and then as the death toll rises, it's just like this, this, this like almost endless supply of people of color yeah. for the lions to just gobble up, and and so th- they get a little more dehumanized mm-hmm. as the film goes on. We do, we do lose two prominent white. Actors as well, two of uh, 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 or characters of, of white. This is characters. well. This is true. Yeah, but again, these characters are given distinguishing character personalities. They're true. And, That's true. And, and 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 again, still have more agency in the story Absolutely. than than anybody else. Absolutely. Um, so uh, so yeah, I think that that the fact that the film 
kind of, yeah, has this uncritical view of colonialism. And also because, like, at the end of the day, the bridge gets built. So, yeah. like, at the end of the day... Imperialism the, for the yeah, win! Yeah, capitalism <laughs> wins through, and everybody is happy about Woo! it, when the fact of the matter is that, like, these people were just kind of, like, kept on the line yeah. with their proverbial asses hanging out. They're, they're fodder, these, and they're treated as... Yeah. To, to use a, a phrase that's been in the news, you know... Uh, recently they're used as human capital yeah exactly i mean mm -hmm. that's the thing like yeah it, the film depicts that dynamic pretty right. pretty starkly and without without any acknowledgement of right. the fact that like they are actually people yeah um and 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 are not valued as as anything close to resembling that by any of the powers that be we get so. a little a little intrigue like thrown in when they are talking about how uh, the uh, Abdullah is, of course, like the he's, uh, I guess, the, like the 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 leader of the Indians. But we're we're given a little glimpse of how the politics um, is kind of fraught there anyway, because the Muslims and the Hindus hate each other. But we don't see that play out at all in yeah. the movie. And that would have been, I think, a little uh, inter uh, interesting to see how that dynamic plays out with everything that's happening. Well, that's the Lions. thing, because, because again, I feel, like, I feel like, you know, you, you had an opportunity to, to really explore that. Because Val Kilmer is somebody who, you know, uh, or Patterson's character is, is somebody who, who seems interested in learning and right. seems to have a certain level of respect for the place that he's going right. to. But, like, he's also completely an outsider. So you... But we never get an opportunity for him and his own preconceptions of the situation mm -hmm. he's getting into to actually be questioned. And, like, there's never really that much of a moment where he actually necessarily learns anything from anybody. There seems to be, like, a, a general idea that, like, you know, the, the longer he stays there, he's like, oh, I love Africa right. and stuff like that. But, like, all he ever gets is, like, you know, that he, you know, oversaw, like, the deaths of hundreds of people yeah, under pretty his much. command. And, and then he killed a couple fucking lions yeah and he's, he's the big hero and he's and he's the big hero he comes and, in yeah. knowing more about africa than the people who live in africa yeah i mean come on like yeah so yeah it's it's like yeah it's it's yeah it's it's very idealized and and yeah the movie definitely is is coming from a a, a default of pro-colonialism mm -hmm. pro you know pro extreme capitalism pro white the, yeah like the 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 whole the whole the, the 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 engine of capitalism will win through at the end of the day and boy isn't that a glorious thing. it's interesting that you even pointed out that uh that samuel is also not given a lot of agency and i i, I agree yeah. with you samuel is uh, our our point of view character he's our audience surrogate and usually uh audience surrogates um, go through uh, some type of emotional arc that that that's meant to like propel us emotionally through the external conflict of the movie. But in Samuel's case, he's more of an observer than really an engine that drives the film. Yeah, that's the thing, and 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 yeah, and, and it's just like it's so weird how he's he's kind of positioned very early on in the film as like he's the only person everybody trusts. So right. basically, he's he is he is the white people's tool to get yeah. the people of color to do what they need them to do. Right, so right. it's just like. 
Yeah, like even even in the best of circumstances. Uh, again, I think with the exception of a uh, with the exception of Abdullah's character, who I think is great because at least he actually has like a uh, a set of motivations that That's are true, much yeah. more rooted in like you know he he is he he is interested in protecting his mm-hmm. own life and in protecting the life of you know the other people who are kind of under his care and who he advocates for. So I I think it's like, it would have been really great to have like, at least like one scene where Samuel questions Patterson's leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Pushback. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or or for, yeah. Or for there to have been more, more pushback at all, or just like even more, even more just like basic acknowledgement yeah. of like you don't know what the fuck you're doing dude yeah yeah more more than just like homogenous fear like that's right. the thing like essentially like you know even though the film starts off in this interesting place of like you know talking about like the 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 political and religious right. tensions within the camp like at the end of the day there's never really any additional work that the film does to mm-hmm. like actually give us a glimpse into what their lives are like there and, and, and who they are like as people. And so. I, I feel like the, the best six, the most successful horror stories are always ones where the internal conflicts are almost scarier than the external conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And the, there the was external, none of that in here. Yeah. The external conflict has to be a reflection of the right. internal conflict. And, and so it's like, you know, and, and, and I think the film had a lot of potential right. in that in that way because again you're you're kind of having these lions that are this like completely un in, incomprehensible force mm-hmm. that that is eroding the the you know the 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 whole workforce's like mm-hmm. trust in their safety and in right. this endeavor and so i think like you you actually had all of the tools necessary exactly. for the film to have like a more critical viewpoint on on like this colonial expansionist mm-hmm. uh, endeavor um but uh it it never really it never really kind of took those ingredients far enough yeah so. yeah i mean i'm i'm definitely one of uh, i i believe that this movie is one of those yeah it has all the right ingredients it's just not really used to its fullest potential yeah um now the actor who played samuel john connie uh we know him from a bunch of other stuff he very recently uh, was in the Disney remake of The Lion King, uh, where he voiced the um, the mandrel Rafiki. Oh, um, cool. We also know him from another thing. Now, this is an, a really interesting piece of trivia here. Our three main leads have played characters in superhero movies, all of them. Uh, Val Kilmer was, of course, uh, Bruce Wayne in Batman Forever. Uh, Michael Douglas. One of my favorites, by the way. I'm just going to say Batman Forever was like my first favorite Batman movie. I'm not going to say it's like the best, but like it, it holds a very special place in my heart and Val Kilmer along with I it. mean, anyone who grew up in the 90s, I think like that was like your first introduction to Batman pretty oh, yeah. much. And, oh, yeah. And Tommy it, Lee Jones, Jim Carrey. Oh, so good. It's a, so, good, it's a good kid Batman like, movie. Like no other movie has Tommy Lee Jones like acting that hyper. Right. Like, ridiculous um anyway sorry uh you, you were saying um baby i could pay you t- oh no the lawyers no, no! no leave the department <laughs> uh, oh. sorry, so much good in. music in this episode y'all um so so val kilmer played bruce wayne in batman forever okay we got michael douglas who was in ant-man and, and also <laughs> ant-man and the wasp yeah um and john connie was also in the mcu uh, he played Black Panther's dad. He was King T'Chaka, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah that's and right. So, that's fucking right. Yeah, so they're all three of them are in superhero movies. That's really cool. Now well, there you go. Despite this movie receiving a mixed critical response, the film did go on to win an Academy Award for sound editing. Really, um, Bruce Stambler, the supervising sound editor, won the Academy Award, and. Uh, you know, throughout the years, this movie has gained somewhat of a cult following. Now, at the time of release, Roger Ebert, who I know you love, mm-hmm. said this about the film. Okay. He said it was so awful that it, quote, lacked the usual charm of being so bad it's funny. He added that it was, quote, an African adventure that makes the Tarzan movies look subtle and realistic. Ebert would later go on to put the film on his list of worst movies of 1996. So, I put the question to you now, Ned. Final thoughts. The Ghost in the Darkness. Do you agree with Mr. Ebert? Is it a horrible movie? Is it a so-so movie? Is it a good movie? Is it a great movie? Where do you land? Ultimately, uh, I'm gonna put it in the so-so. Um, I think it has. Some, I do think it has some things going for it, um, and I had fun watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think that um, it it, uh, it it left a lot to be desired, both in terms of just like uh, the execution of its uh, you know its violence mm-hmm. and its and how its suspense sequences resolve. Right. Um, and uh, definitely a lot to be resolved in terms of like its whole stance on colonialism. Right. Um, but I think the, all of that aside, um, you get you know you've got some some pretty good performances, um, a decent script. Like, yeah. I think, you know, other problems aside, like, you know, a, a decent enough script that, you know, had plenty of potential. I just mm-hmm. think it, like, you know, it, it, it could have used maybe a little more in resources and, and maybe just, I don't know, a, a more discerning eye in terms of how they wanted to, like, sell the, you know, the the, the carnage that the lion right. Freed. Um, how about you? How, I mean, where, I, where, where do you land? I agree with you. I think it's a so-so movie. I, I kind of agree with Rotten Tomatoes. It, I would give this like a fifty percent. I would give this like a solid C. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And that like, almost is more disappointing. Like I kind of agree with that aspect of Roger Ebert's review. Although I wouldn't say that it's a horrendous movie, but I do think that it, like when he says it lacks the charm of being so bad, it's funny. I feel like. If you have a movie that like leans into being bad, where it's so bad it's good, it makes it like really fun and enjoyable. And of course, if you have a great movie, then it's a really fun, enjoyable experience. But this movie is just like a very meh movie. It has yeah. some good shit in it, but overall, it's uh, it leaves me kind of unsatisfied because I do want more out of it. I want so much more out of this movie. And who knows, maybe the alternate cut that had 45 minutes more into it, maybe, and less Michael Douglas, maybe that was the movie we all maybe. deserved. Yeah, that's that's a thing. Forget forget the Snyder cut. I want, yeah. I want this cut. The Hopkins I, cut. I want the Hopkins cut. <laughs> Hashtag Hopkins cut. Trending guys. on Twitter. Yeah, Hopkins guys, cut. Come on, come on, GSV, Twitter followers, get it done. 
But um, but yeah, I think I think it's a so-so movie. At the end of the day, I do agree with you. There's a lot of fun in this movie. Yeah. I feel like the suspense could have been mined a little more. And it's probably hard to direct animals, so I don't know. Like, how do you? Yeah. Look, how do you solve that? You know. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I I mean, I think. You know, again, it came out in, like, what, 96? 96. If so, you were making it today, it would all be CGI. Yeah, like, that's a thing, is that I think, you know, they definitely didn't have the technology back then, so, like, they had to depend more on live action, and so... Yeah, who knows? Who knows what the technology... I mean, I mean, again, I think that, like, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that, like, the full CGI treatment would be that much better, per right. se. Yeah, like, probably not. That that comes with its own baggage, but, like, Because you know. maybe, maybe fixing the storytelling would actually sell the line attacks, too, you know? Yeah, that's a thing. I just... Yeah, I think I think it, it's, it's an interesting hodgepodge mm-hmm. and, and a little messy. Yeah, it's a very messy so, movie. Um, but, but ultimately, it was fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, props... Props to everybody for making it through yeah, what was clearly the nightmare. A, a nightmare of a production process. So, so thank you guys for making this movie for us to, yeah, to yeah, watch and talk all. shit thank on. You. Yeah, good lord. Uh, well, that does it for us. That's the end of another episode of GSV. Uh, Ned, thank you for watching The Ghost in the Darkness with me. Thank you for having me. I hope that you join me next time for another exciting movie, and we hope that you guys out there join us again. We're going to pick another schlocky masterpiece and pick it apart for your enjoyment. Until next time, don't go into the long grass! No. Watch some movies instead. Yeah. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring me the very best violence. No relationship. No emotions. No emotion. Just.